Well, gang, good morning. Um, here at Apostles, uh, we like to uh, talk about the fact that we are a community following Jesus in Houston. And we, we say that uh, in that, we have three goals. Uh, and our three goals are to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. Uh, it's that simple, and yet it's that difficult. Um, I was thinking about that this week. In fact, if, if you think about what we're trying to do, to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. It really is impossible. I, I was imagining it, it'd be like someone taking me to NRG, putting me in pads and a Houston, Texas uniform, and walking me out on the field and said, okay, I want you to become like J.J. Watt, and I want you to do what J.J. Watt does, and just go for it. I would look at that person and say, you're crazy. Have you seen J.J. Watt? Do you know what J.J. Watt is capable of? I can't do that. That's impossible. And I think maybe we have a similar response when we hear this idea of, of being with Jesus and becoming like Jesus and, and doing what Jesus did. How in the world can I, a weak, fragile, selfish, sinful person, ever be anything like Jesus in this life? How in the world is that possible? And the reality is that for me and for you, it is impossible, except for God. God can do that through us and in us. And really, what we're going to talk about this morning is exactly how God does that. Because this morning, we're going to talk about Pentecost. And Pentecost is all about how you and I can not only become like Jesus and do what Jesus did, but the incredible promise that Jesus, by the Spirit of God, is with us always and everywhere. Jesus had told his followers to wait in Jerusalem. I promise you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, he said. And that's exactly what happened. Pentecost, uh, which simply means the 50th day after the Passover feast, was this huge festival for the Jews. Uh, the Jews have been scattered all over the world uh, through history. And now they came back. They came back from all corners of the earth, from all different cultures, speaking all different languages. And they came back for this festival called Pentecost to celebrate together in Jerusalem. And in the middle of this crowd, there was a, a small gathering of about 120 followers of Jesus, about the same size as our crowd here today. And they were gathered in the midst of this city, in the midst of this crowd, something extraordinary happened. And we just heard Sean read it. I want to read it again. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire, as a fire, appeared to them and resided on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So first, there was this sound, and it sounded like rushing wind. Uh, in the Bible, the Holy Spirit is often described as breath or wind. Then there was the sight uh, that Luke describes as tongues of fire that basically kind of rested over each of their heads. Fire is a common symbol in the Bible for the presence of God. On Mount Sinai, God appeared as fire to Moses. God had told the Israelites in the temple on the altar to keep the fire going as a constant reminder of his holy presence with his people. Wind, fire, and then they started to speak. They started to speak. Each one of them filled with the Spirit, we're told, began to speak in different languages. And what were they speaking? They were declaring the mighty works of God. They were worshiping. 
That's what they were doing. This worship service broke out in all these tongues in the middle of the city amidst this crowd. And each person in the crowd slowly began to pick up on the fact that they could hear this worship in their own tongue. And they could understand what these people were saying. And so thousands started to gather around. We know this from from what we're told in verse 41, that thousands gathered around these 120. And in the midst of that 120, Peter, he stood up. Now, what's going on? Before we get to Peter and his amazing sermon, the sermon to end all sermons, before we get there, what in the world is going on here? What does all this mean? Jesus, again, he had made a promise to his followers, right? He had said before his ascension, the Holy Spirit will come in power so that you might be my witnesses. And it wasn't just the promise Jesus had made. It was a promise that God had made even before Jesus arrived on the scene. A promise that he made centuries before in the prophet Joel. A promise that the apostle Peter then stands and declares to this gathered crowd of thousands. And this is what he said. He said, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and I will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the coming of of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You see, this incredible promise that God had made centuries before, that Jesus had made, was now coming true. God was pouring out his Holy Spirit on the church, on all followers of Jesus, men and women, poor, rich, people from all cultures, all languages, all races. The Lord was pouring out his Holy Spirit so that people might know his radical love for them in the person of Jesus. The long-awaited king and savior of the world had arrived. The promise had come true. So Jesus promised that when the spirit came in power, something would happen. And that something was that they would be witnesses. Now, how remarkable is it, if you think about what's happened here, is the fulfillment of that promise, that they would be witnesses to Jerusalem, to Judea and Samaria, to the very ends of the earth. And what's happened is people from every corner of the earth Jews from every country, every nation, every group have come to Jerusalem. God brought them right to the front door of where this 120 were gathered. And so as they gathered, they declared the mighty works of Jesus. And then Peter stood up and he told them what was happening. And all these people now were primed. They were ready to hear the good news of Jesus. And God had done all that when he brought the promise of the Holy Spirit. It's a remarkable series of events. And and as we look at this this morning in the context of our series of Acts of the Holy Spirit, what I want us to do is I want us to look at the person of the Holy Spirit together. I want us to ask, who is this promised Holy Spirit? Gordon Fee, a great biblical scholar and a man who walks uh, in the Spirit, I love what he says about this question, who is the Holy Spirit? He actually boils it down to three Ps. If you were here three weeks ago, I gave you three different Ps. We're on the Ps train for some reason. There's three Ps this morning. Uh, The three Ps are this, personal, present, and powerful. Who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is personal, present, and powerful. So I want to look at each one of these together this morning. And the first is this, the Holy Spirit is personal. 
I remember hearing a, a pastor who was trying to explain um, who the Holy Spirit was to a group of, of children. And uh, she took a small piece of paper and she put it in her hand and she blew on the paper and it blew off her hand and, and across the room. And what she said was, the Holy Spirit is, is like that. She's like, it's, it's like the wind. It's very real and very powerful, but it's invisible. And one little boy um, kind of raised his hand and he said, he said, that's great, but what I want is for the wind and the Spirit to be uninvisible. Can we have a Holy Spirit that's uninvisible? And I thought of that because I think that's how a lot of us feel, right? It'd be great if the Holy Spirit was uninvisible uh, for us this morning. We want that because it's hard for us to get our minds around this idea of the Holy Spirit. God as Father, that makes sense to us, I think. God as Son, Jesus, we can kind of get our heads around. But the Holy Spirit, I think sometimes it just feels like this invisible blur. We're not exactly what to make or how to relate to a blur. And so I think that's why we tend to relate to the Holy Spirit a lot of times in kind of impersonal terms. We even use impersonal language. It, the Holy Spirit, becomes an it. Not personal. But what's remarkable about that is that the Bible reveals this God who is anything but impersonal. Anything but distant. Anything but unrelatable. Just think about the person of Jesus. John 1 tells us that Jesus was God with flesh on. God with skin on. Colossians 1 says that Jesus was the visible image of the invisible God. Through Jesus, we can really know God. We can know what he's like and we can relate to him. We can have a relationship with the God who made us and sustains us. You know, the Holy Spirit um, in the New Testament is frequently referred to as the spirit of Jesus. Uh, and it's for a very important reason, I think. I think that's really helpful because it helps us make the Holy Spirit more personal, I think, more accessible, more visible. In a sense, what it means is that when we look at Jesus, we also see the Holy Spirit. And that helps me to think about the fact that when I see Jesus in the Gospels, when I see the way that Jesus lived, when I see the things he said, when I see the ways that he worked, I'm also seeing the Holy Spirit at work in his life. Now this idea um, that the Holy Spirit is personal, maybe that's not new to you. Um, honestly, it wasn't necessarily new to me either. But I realized that um, there was maybe a way that I wasn't fully living into that truth. I don't know if you ever had this experience. You know it, but do you really know it? Kind of in a way that changes your life. And, and I had this sense that um, even as I knew the Holy Spirit was personal, I didn't really relate to him in a personal way. And what I mean is, uh, for example, when I would pray, um, often I, I wouldn't actually pray to the Holy Spirit. Uh, and another, another thing I would do is I, I would mention the Holy Spirit, but rather than kind of um, really address him directly or actually talk to him as if he's in the room, I, I would talk about him, even in my prayer life. It, it, I imagine it'd be like me going home after church today, after lunch, and I walk in the door, and, and Langley's there, but I, I just kind of don't talk to her. In fact, I, I go to my kids, and I, and I hug them, and I, I say hey to them, but I, I just kind of move around Langley. Uh, she's there. I can see her. I, I believe that she's there, but I never actually speak to her. Yeah, good luck with that, Billy said. <laughs> this is a hypothetical, brother, all right? Imagine, imagine 
I'm a terrible husband. That's what I'm saying. But I think that helps me kind of think that that's what I do with the Holy Spirit sometimes in my life. I know the Holy Spirit is, is real. It's not a matter of believing the Holy Spirit. It's a matter of how I relate to the Holy Spirit. Do I relate to the Holy Spirit as a person, as a person? Not as some blur, not as some force, but in this really personal and intimate and relational way. So that's the first thing. The Holy Spirit is personal. The second P, that the Holy Spirit is present. The Holy Spirit is present. Specifically, the Spirit is God's presence. You know, the Holy Spirit didn't appear um, for the first time on the, on the stage of creation at Pentecost. In, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word is ruach. Can you all say that with me? Ruach. That's spirit. It means the spirit of God. And the ruach, we're told, in Genesis 1-2 was present at the very beginning was hovering over the chaotic waters. And what we get a picture of is the fact that the Ruach, the spirit, the breath of God, was actually the animating force that actually breathed into creation and brought life. From the very beginning, the Holy Spirit was on the scene. And as you read through the Old Testament, the personal presence of God, his spirit keeps popping up. From the Garden of Eden to Mount Sinai, from the wilderness to the temple, the spirit-filled ancient leaders and prophets of Israel. In fact, it was the divine presence of God that set Israel apart. More than anything else that set them apart, it was God's presence with his people. It was the divine presence, in fact, that they longed for when they were lost and when they were in exile. They longed for it, and the prophets foretold that one day the presence of God would return. And that's what we see. We see this incredible event in the span of history of of creation unfolding at Pentecost that the promise of the Holy Spirit, the promise of the presence of God returning and dwelling among his people is being fulfilled. It was this presence that Jesus promised and that came at Pentecost. Paul would later say in 1 Corinthians that those who are in Christ are actually the temple of God. In other words, the temple of God where the very presence of God dwelt among his people, that same God dwells not in a building of stone in Jerusalem, but now in you and in me, in the church, the corporate and individual people of God become the dwelling place of God's own personal presence by his spirit. The Holy Spirit is God's presence among us and in us. And so that's why when we talk about following Jesus, we talk about it beginning with this idea of being with Jesus. To be with Jesus, it's being in God's presence, both personally and as a community, that we learn to become like him and do what he did. And so even if it's just a few moments at the beginning of your day or just stopping at periodic moments throughout the day, just to say, okay, God, you, you are here. You're really here. The very presence of the living God is in me and with me. Lord, you are here with me. Help me to be here with you. The very presence of God is with us. So the Holy Spirit is personal, is present, and then finally, the Holy Spirit is powerful. The Spirit is God's personal and empowering presence. Jesus said the Spirit would come. In our reading from the Gospel of John 14, Jesus said, I'm going to the Father, but I'm not going to leave you behind as orphans on your own. No, I will come to you, he said. I will come to you. I will not leave you alone to slug this out in the trenches by yourself. 
The living God is with us and he is a God not just of words, not just of promises, but of power. He is a God of power. And so the Holy Spirit in that way animates our life with Jesus. He is the power, he is the breath, he is the life in us. And it's not just the miraculous and it's not just the extraordinary. The power of the Holy Spirit is what helps us steadily grow and mature in Christ. It's the power of the Spirit that gives us strength to resist temptation, to love our neighbor, to endure, even in the face of suffering and hardship. That is the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I mentioned Gordon Fee earlier. He writes this. He says, in this life, we, we must be neither triumphalist nor fatalist. We must be spiritual realist. We must occupy the place of the radical middle where we expect neither too much nor too little of God. Here we will know life in Christ and experience vitality in our personal lives in the community of faith. Here we will constantly have the veil removed so that we might behold God's own glory in the face of Christ so that we are constantly being renewed into his likeness. Here we will regularly expect and see both the working of miracles and the fellowship of his suffering without experience frustration in either direction. If we do not have the spirit, we do not belong to God at all. If we have the spirit, we must never settle for a watered down understanding of God that gives more glory to Western rationalism or spiritual anemia than to the living God. In other words, we must let God be God in our lives. Nothing less and nothing more. As followers of Jesus, the Holy Spirit must have free reign to be at work in our lives and in our community. We must not attempt to box him in or make him conform to our presuppositions. If we want to know God and be captivated by Jesus, if we want to see God at work in our lives and the lives of those we love, then we need the power of the Holy Spirit. The truth is, uh, we get really uncomfortable with this third P. You know, the first P, I think we can kind of, yeah, God's personal. That sounds great. Uh, God is present. I'll take God's presence in my life. I, I would love more of that. God's power in my life sounds a little risky. You're making me a little uncomfortable with this whole idea of God's power at work in my life. And I, I just say that because I struggle with that too. If there's a P here that I struggle with, it is the power. P. It is the power of God in my life. What does that mean? What does that look like? How does that not get off the rails? How does that not become something that consumes me and takes the place of Jesus? How does the power of God actually work in the life of the faithful follower of Jesus? I've been very convicted recently by the words of uh, Pastor Jack Deere, who wrote a great book called Surprised by the Power of the Holy Spirit. And in it, he says this, he says, the real reason most Christians don't believe in the miraculous power of the Spirit is because they have never seen this kind of power for themselves. What I'm saying is the real reason many followers of Jesus don't believe in the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit is not based on scripture at all. It is based on personal experience. Maybe in your experience, You've been in a church tradition where this power of the Holy Spirit was abused and misused. 
Maybe you've been in a place where there were things that were done in the name of God and supposedly by the power of God that made you want to run from the church. And if that's you here this morning, I'm sorry. That is not the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've prayed and you've asked God for a miracle and that miracle never came. And in your life, what you've experienced is not a loss of faith, but a loss of trust in God because of that. Maybe you carry around with you in some part of your heart that you just can't quite trust God with everything again because of what happened. Maybe you're afraid to ask God to do something, to move in power in your life because what if he doesn't do it? What if you pray and you ask him for one of these gifts? What if you pray and you ask him to do something remarkable in the life of your neighbor or in your family and he doesn't answer that prayer? What if God doesn't do what you ask him to do? How's your faith gonna handle that? And so maybe you just don't ask. But listen, to follow Jesus is to believe in a God of power. It's to believe in a God who pours out his spirit on men and women, as Peter says, so they might prophesy. A, a God who pours out his spirit so that we might be healed. A, a God who we believe is capable of the miraculous. For people who believe in the miracle of the cross, is that too hard to believe? For people who believe in the power of God to raise Jesus from the dead, for sinners who know the miracle of God's forgiveness in their life, what is beyond the power of God to do in our lives. You know, God pours out his spirit. He pours out, he longs to pour out his Holy Spirit on his people and it is not for show. It is not for show. It is not to impress people. The reason God does that is out of his love for us and his love for the world. Think about Pentecost. Do you, do you realize what happened at Pentecost? I mean, think about the miracles of Pentecost. I mean, the ones that we, we've talked about are, are, are the, the fire and the wind and, and these incredible languages that get spoken, this, this spiritual tongues thing that happens. Those are incredible miracles, but that's not even the great miracle of Pentecost. If you read on, you discover that what happened here is that Peter stood up and after he spoke these prophetic words from Joel, he proclaimed the good news of Jesus Christ and his coming kingdom. And you know that thousands, thousands of people responded in faith, saving faith to Jesus, and were baptized that day. Thousands came to life in Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit is. That is what the power of the Holy Spirit does. It opens eyes, it opens ears to the good news of Jesus' kingdom, and it softens hearts. It softens hearts to the call of Christ, and it creates space for people to respond in faith to Jesus. That's what the power of the Spirit does. It's not just about miracles. It's always about Jesus. It's always about Jesus. It ought to lead us to worship, to awe, to be captivated again and again and again by Jesus and who he is. So maybe it's time for us to ask the Lord, and I wanna challenge you to do this, uh, to give us open minds on this issue of the Holy Spirit and particularly the power of the Holy Spirit. To be honest um, with Jesus, maybe about our skepticism, uh, about our past wounds, our lack of trust, our lack maybe even of faith. To see again the mighty works of God in the past and consider the possibility that that God that we read about in the Bible is not trapped in the pages of the Bible, but that he is the living God 
and that he works in ways seen and unseen, mundane and miraculous, that he is at work in the power of the Holy Spirit to draw people to Jesus, to draw us to Jesus. The Holy Spirit is not to be feared. He is God's personal empowering presence. And the Spirit, as Paul said, brings love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, all these gifts. This is what the Holy Spirit brings. And that's what we want. We need that. We need the Holy Spirit to fill us, as Peter said, to fill us so that we can be the people of God on the mission of God, that we might be witnesses. So would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, this morning we ask that you would fill us. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would pour, be poured out on us as your people. And Lord, there, there are things that may make us nervous about that. Lord, we're not even sure we fully understand exactly what that means, but Lord, we know it's a good gift from you, Father, that you want to give us your Holy Spirit. And so I just pray, Lord, for anyone here, Lord, maybe it's because of past wounds, maybe it's because of skepticism, maybe it's just, Lord, we just need more faith to know that you are the God who longs to give his children good gifts and the greatest gift that you could give us in Christ is the power of your Holy Spirit. So Lord, I pray that you um, would again soften hearts, that you would again open eyes and ears. Lord, this church, where we, we want to be a people who are becoming like Jesus and doing what he did, but we cannot do it apart from the power of your spirit. And so we just pray, Lord, come, come Holy Spirit. Come and fill your church. Come and fill us for your glory, for the glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be all praise and all honor. Amen. Amen.